Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. We have the full entomology contingent with us. Tyler's here. Whitney's here. Don is kicked back in the corner. I wish y'all could see Don. He's not wet. (laughs) 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 Which is Don's normal podcast state this time of year it's cooler right now than what it typically yeah. is and it's not july in july it would be a completely different don he's not wet he doesn't have his sunglasses on or his hat backwards that means don is in a pretty relaxed state and his eyes aren't swollen so he hasn't walked any corn and he doesn't have a mic so all he could do is sit over there and nod <laughs> <laughs> that's right and the other two can say whatever they want <laughs> are you going to tap in at some point or are you just here for moral support Okay, Don said whatever they want. You didn't say that into a mic, so I had to repeat it. So, <laughs> Color commentary. The topic of the day for our entomology group is thrips on cotton. But before we start, Don, this question was for you. Since you don't have a mic, I'm going to let Tyler and Whitney weigh in on it. It may be a question that would be better if we waited for a later entomology podcast, like a plant bug episode in July, but I don't have anything else knocking around in my head, so I'm blowing this one out there. Tyler, Whitney, if you had a choice, would you rather walk through tasseling corn down the row or crossways of chest-high cotton? Crossways, chest-high cotton. I'd go corn. Ooh. I'm too allergic to be walking okay, well tasseling that, corn. Well, take that out. It's not tasseling. It's just oh, down the road, ten feet. Do tall. I have my sunglasses on? <laughs> sure. You can close your eyes, <laughs> look sure. down, use a clipboard, do something. Well, Don, nobody around here has any sugar cane, and yes, you're right. That would be a level up on the awful factor. That corn is just so freaking hot. It's like a furnace in there. It man. is hot. <laughs> Tom is remarkably silent on the issue. I'd go corn just because I'd do a bunch of that anyways. Corn's not awful. It's just bad when you walk the hybrid trials, which are all 30-inch centers. That makes it a little more suffocating. 30s is tough. Plant pathologists get to do that all in July and early August. It's so much fun. I look forward to it. You underestimate how sharp a the side of a corn leaf is until you... Oh, I know. It beats on you, cuts you. That's just... Then that pollen that gets down further. in those cuts. Mm-hmm. It's even more fun when the corn's covered up with southern rust and you walk it and get home and look like you had a bad spray on tan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that, there's always a signal to switch to the actual content, and that was it. Absolutely. I, I give you good segues on this program. It is Monday morning. <laughs> We're going to do a couple of these. So, Scout School is going on. Has the Scout School started? It has. Hunter is underway. Okay. So, we're in Stoneville. The Scout School is going on. We're going to try to turn this around pretty quickly for y'all because I know this is a big topic. Whitney, you or Tyler, I guess give us a status on what's going on with thrips on cotton, and then we will go from there. We use a lot the NC State uh, thrips model predictor. It's a good indicator of when thrips will be bad. And based off of the Stoneville, Starkville latitude, between about May 15th and the end of May, thrips were going to be really bad. So they've been pretty high as we go into June. 
We know that at this point, seed treatments aren't providing just a whole lot of control. I think in some situations, they've made it to about one to two leaf before they've had to make a foliar application. But I would say on a large number of acres, there's been a need for supplemental foliar applications. Historically, in the past, when seed treatments and app planting treatments were working really well, only about 25 to 30 percent of our acres in the state received a foliar application. Uh, due to resistance, we're pretty limited both at planting and foliarly for thrips management. I'll speak to what we've been seeing, at least on our plots on the station here. Untreated plots are actually getting hammered right now, and we're finding, you know, um, what I would say highs, not the highest numbers I've seen, you know, counts-wise, but two, 300 thrips on five plant. Pretty good. That's what you want in a trial. When I think about my infurrow trial here on station, I think I attribute it to being kind of a dry year because my infurrow, where we test all of our infurrow products, on a wetter year, it tends to look worse. Um, mainly, I guess, because it's cool and that cotton's just sitting there and it's just getting thrips, pounding on it. This year, with it was being hot and dry, cotton's growing. I mean, this is the best I've seen my infurrow trial look. But Whitney's right. I mean, two to three leaf is all you can expect, and that's on a good end. She is right in that one to two leaf is probably normal. But two to three leaf this year for me is what I saw in my trials. And we can move on to the acephate side of things. I mean, we've been spraying trials with... Wait, before you do that, Tyler, expand on the weather factor a little bit. Hot and dry, I mean, we're going on getting close to three weeks here mm-hmm. without rain. And so there have been other places where they've caught a rain, and some places guys I've talked to have even caught two rains. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that there was any cotton right there. but Clarksdale would be a great example. It did rain like last weekend in Clarksdale. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. So Con- contrast the difference in thrips pressure just in general on a hot, dry year versus a semi-normal, whatever normal passes for. But you know, where we're getting more regular rainfall than we have. Yeah, I, don't I mean, I don't think that the thrips pressure is any worse or any better on a hot and dry year. I think it's just it's a factor of how that cotton grows. So if it's wet, and typically every couple of years we have what we a cool planting season and even it gets into the cotton growing season where we're at one to five true leaves when that cotton just kind of sits there and stalemates that's when we see it get real bad now this year since it's been hot and dry cotton's been growing i've got cotton out there that we planted on may the 4th plots that were untreated were looking at two to three true leaves still and cotton that was thrive on that you know looks fantastic for thrips is now like seven leaf so that's kind of what's going on out there. I'm, I, I, like I said, I don't think it's any worse because it's been hot and dry. The cotton's just been growing faster. I will say, like this time, once stuff's kind of established, if we get a really heavy rainfall, sometimes it can dislodge some of those thrips from the plant, maybe alleviate a foliar application. But again, you can't rely on that rain to supplement the need for a foliar application, but sometimes a well-timed rain can help. Definitely scouting after a good rain because we pulled thrip samples after a rain and everything zeroes. And that can help, but knowing whether or not that rain was hard enough, you need to go out there and scout it. One other question related to this kind of general topic. Whitney, you mentioned the time frame, so the May 15th to May 30th or June 1. Work our planning date in there. So just variability in planning date. If we happen to get the cotton in, I'm not even talking about this year specifically, but if we happen to get a majority of our cotton in to where it was in this three to four or so leaf stage during that second half of May versus if it was a little bit later and we're more at that 
say, cod leading the two-leaf stage during this time frame, how does that influence it? Yeah, I think if you got planted earlier before that window, you're likely to have outgrown a lot of it. So generally speaking, we're only worried about thrips until about the four-leaf stage. So you say if you planted early May, you're probably out of this really heavy thrips pressure. Whereas if I planted from mid-May to end of the May, I'm like right in the midst of it, right? So my seed treatment, you know, my cotton is coming out of the ground already fighting heavy thrips. We know our seed treatments aren't working great. They're providing us some control, but generally we're still going to need some supplemental. And then you think you're combating it, you know, from that point forward. So the likelihood is, is planting in that window, you're going to increase your chances of needing a foliar application one, if not two. I know we don't want to talk about that because generally most people are trying to avoid two at all costs, especially with our limited options. But I know a couple of people that have had to put out two applications for thrips. So planting date plays a big role in it. And that's the thing, if anybody doesn't know about the NC State thrips model predictor, anybody can in the state of Mississippi can go and pick their points, their planting date within about a five to 10 day window and look at that scale. And so I obviously being an entomologist, pick the red and stick my stuff in that window. But if I was a producer, I would be looking to find that green and try to plant in that window, assuming environmental conditions are on my side. You mentioned options, and Tyler mentioned acephate, and I cut you off, Tyler, so why don't you circle back to use Tom's. Yeah, and circle back and talk about the tweets you had out yesterday about acephate and resistance and everything else. Cover that, please, because I think that's an important topic to not forget. Yeah, so our Mid-South group, um, we'll make collections of thrips every year, and Whitney will probably be sending some pretty soon. We just planted earlier, so we kind of got ours to him earlier, but we sent them to C. Brown, who's the entomologist at Tennessee, and he runs these leaf dip bioassays where we use field rates, and he dips these leaves, and we put thrips on them, and we kind of just look at mortality. Here in Stoneville, we collected a population that was 20% mortality to a field use rate of acephate, which would be the quarter of a pound rate. So last year, this same area was about 50 to 60%. So just yep. put that in the back of your mind. Yep. And we sent one from down in Louisiana when I was at Louisiana last year, and it was 44%. So it's getting worse every year. And I think the other thing I mentioned was spider mites. So, you know, we talk about options, and, and really our options are acephate and intrepid edge, maybe bidrin, uh, but keep in mind that bidrin and acephate are in the same family. They're both organophosphates. So if one's not going to work, you're taking a risk by using the other one. But you've got intrepid edge, and intrepid edge has a really short residual. Uh, we say three to five days. In my trials, it's looking like it's closer to the three-day than the five-day. But let's talk about, sorry, if you don't mind. I'm No, no. Let's talk about, because I've gotten a number of calls in the last co- week and a half. Everybody's like, well, intrepid edge is failing, intrepid edge is failing. Well, in your bioassay, you saw, or Sieb saw 100% with radiant, which is the ingredient that controls thrips and intrepid edge. Let's talk about what people are saying is an insecticide failure, because it is not an insecticide failure. Right. It's definitely not an insecticide failure. It works in our plots. Now, we're also putting this out with good GPA. We're putting it out with the ground rig. We're putting it out with the tips that we always say put out insecticides with and surfactant. And that's playing a lot into this. But I do think folks are seeing this short residual. They're seeing these adults move back in and we're attributing that as a, as a failure. And that's it's not a failure. Um, we just see reinfestation. There's billions of thrips in the environment. You're going to have adults on your cotton. The main thing you need to look for is immatures. 
Well, and your pressure in that situation with the continued environment, if it's not going to rain, if you're not going to get environmental conditions that reduce those populations, you're stressing those environmental situations to the max and expecting something to perform on five days and you may only get three days out of it or two if it's a super high population number. Well, and I think too, we have this unrealistic expectation, right? We talk about it every year. Um, I realize that Intrepid Edge costs more than acephate. I realize that it's a different, it, it just works differently. So our expectations have to be different, but people still have the mindset. I would say even like the roundup mindset where we spray something, we expect it to control it, and we don't want to see anything for a given amount of time. And we're not taking into consideration that we have resistance. We're using different products. Our environment is not the same. Don just made a good point. He's off off the air right now. But he said that Intrepid Edge is not a systemic product, and that kind of goes back to what we were saying about, you know, just application. If you're not using the right tip, you're not using uh, something that gives you a fine droplet, you're using coarse droplets, we're, that's kind of what you'd expect. I mean, they have to come in contact with the product for it to have the effect. And I'm dealing with that right now in the herbicide world because so many acres have been sprayed and if it had a residual included with it, hadn't gotten incorporated, so what's the point? So I was going to add, I get the question all the time about why do you test products with 10 or 15 GPA? And when we're looking at things from a research standpoint, we're looking at efficacy. So y'all are doing something really similar. You're trying to provide a perfect environment and situation with proper technique. Is that always the case when you get outside in commercial production practices? I would say No. (laughs) But if this is your only option and you want it to work well, then you need to take into the parameters that are going to make it work better than if you choose to use low GPA, wrong tips, no surfactant. And then you want to proceed to not understand the data and tell us that it's a failure. Whitney, that's a great point in that when we're working with a product that's that's as expensive as it is compared to what we used to spend on acephate, making that product work the best you can if you want to spray one time is probably that should get all of your attention when it comes time to apply that product is make sure that you can do everything the best you can so that you only have to put it out once yeah and that ends up down kind of at the bottom of the list of how we prevent resistance from developing or something else so you try to provide a situation whereby you're maintaining the efficacy of that product for a given period of time by doing everything right instead of trying to cut corners yeah that that's like a difficult thing to dance around but there's a lot of truth to that and and i get it i mean i'm a realist how many acres are we trying to cover in a day with how many gallons and all the rest of that that makes things difficult Look, I agree. I'm not I'm not going to argue and say that it's not, but when that's the only product that's working, we got we got to do the best we can. Not to say that there are not spots in the state of Mississippi where acephate is not working or is working, um, but we consistently with bioassays and field calls get that we're not getting adequate control, but there are people I would say that probably are, but we can't recommend it because the likelihood is is the probability it's not going to work to the level you want is much higher than it will. I will say there may be some situations, for example, I mentioned earlier, somebody needed to come back and make a second application. They were at the, they had three true leaves. The fourth one was probably a dime. This particular producer doesn't like damage. So in that case, they went ahead and made an acephate application, uh, which may be warranted. But you also need to think about right now is the spider mite component of that 
just because it is hot and dry. There are spider mites popping up. I saw a Twitter post yesterday about spider mites. Acephate and vibrant are more likely to flare spider mites than intrepid edge would. You made a good point in that acephate, you know, it's it's not that it's not working everywhere because I put out two tests. I put out the same test twice, just separated by a week and a half. And the first test, it didn't look like it was working at all. The second test, it looked good. So it's definitely an inconsistency issue, but she's right in that it may work in some spots, it may not in others. And until we know where it works and where it don't, we're just not recommending it, you know, really across the board because we don't want to recommend something that doesn't work for y'all. Um, moving on to spider mites, spider mites are blowing up in our in our thrips trials right now. I'm actually going to have to go out there and spray it to keep, I mean, we're starting to see they're sucking some of my plants to the ground right now. Um, Don and I, before we came in here, we're over there collecting leaves and moving them across the road, trying to see if we can get a test blown up. If you've got spider mites in the field, asphate will show them to you. And what we've always said is, I think Bidrin tends to be a, you know, a little bit better. It, it doesn't flare them as bad. But if you've got spider mites in the field and you're spraying thrips, your option is Intrepid Edge. I'm, you know, if we think about Bidrin not being an organophosphate and maybe not working, um, even if you, even if it is safer on spider mites, that's not a risk I'm willing to take. As expensive as it is to control spider mites, so Intrepid Edge is probably the safest thing you can do if you've got both pests in the field at the same time. Either Whitney or Tyler, do you want to mention anything about Thrive On and the, the potential of that technology for managing thrips? Thrive On, we've talked about a lot the last couple of years just because it was the new technology. Um, I do realize thrips have been heavy in some spots. You're going to find thrips in this technology. You're going to see a little bit of damage, but it is not enough damage to warrant an insecticide application. We don't at this time recommend spraying Thrive on technology. It looks phenomenal in my plots. It's it's row to row with plots that are just completely, I mean, the terminals are blown and it looks pristine. I have not seen any issues with damage and Thrive on it. It all looks great right now. And Don made one more comment. He said we need to mention Timic. Now that is an expensive option there. If you put me in a Thrive on, a Timic, I couldn't tell them apart. They look great. Now again, Whitney mentioned that you're going to have thrips on it. That's not something to worry about. Let that plant tell you when it needs, you know, when it needs some intervention. Well, you both have Temic or aldocarbon trials for infra trials right now, don't you? So you're comparing, yeah. comparing that a non-treated versus some of the other infra products, probably acephate, and then you've got an aldocarbon there as well. Yep. So we took, well, at least in, I don't know if you put it in yours, we took the infra acephate out, but we still have the over-treated, but we directly can compare the Temic and the or the Agologic and the Thrive On, and they are very, very similar. Yep. I, I don't even know that you could pick them apart, honestly. I can't, not in my plots. And nobody side dresses with Agologic anymore, do they? So, I mean, it's an option, isn't it? Is it, it still is. on the label? still an option. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's yeah, so if you didn't want to, I think where we most commonly see it right is, is in areas where people have nematodes. They generally tend to use it in, in addition to a traditional or no traditional seed treatment. The disadvantage with the Thrive On is you have to have a seed treatment. It has a standard seed treatment on it. So you're already paying for the seed treatment, so there's no need with the technology and the seed treatment to make any additional applications. Thank you all. Thank you. Tyler, Whitney, great to see you all. Good to, good to be here with you. We appreciate the information. know how hot a topic that is right now. Don, I appreciate you. I do too, Don.
it's stellar to just have you in the room. Just for the moral support, man. I felt stronger with just you being here. Just being able to coexist in your presence. (laughs) Thank y'all. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. 